Life is made up of experiences. Experiences shape our perspectives and allow us to pass along knowledge. In this podcast, I sit down with listeners like you and find out that no matter who you are, everyone has a story to tell. I'm Ethan Smith, and this is Life Experienced. When Bill Monroe formed his band, the Bluegrass Boys, in the mid-1940s, the world finally had a name for the music that was being played throughout the Appalachian region of the United States. Bluegrass music, as we know it today, typically features acoustic instruments such as guitar, banjo, mandolin, fiddle, and bass. It's a style of music that is unmistakable, and despite the lack of bluegrass tunes on the Billboard Hot 100, the music is still alive and well across the world. Just ask Daniel and Carolyn Ruth. Daniel and Carolyn formed their band called New Blue, that's N-U-B-L-U, in 2003. They took their musical pursuits full-time in 2011, and after six studio albums, they spend most of their time traveling across the United States playing bluegrass. But it wasn't always this way. I sat down to talk to Daniel and Carolyn about their journeys to becoming full-time musicians. So when, when did the, the music start for each of you? So where, where did that begin? Huh. It started with me when I was a kid. I can tell you when the bug first bit me, when I knew, knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that this had to happen. Um, I, I started out singing in church, you know, little kids programs and all that fun stuff. What everybody thinks is low pressure, but in in truth, it's just, it's the most pressure in the whole world <laughs> to put a kid up on stage in front of a congregation and go talk. Yeah. Um, so I started out doing that and, and it, it kind of progressed in second grade. We did, well, the whole school did, um, it was like a talent showcase. It wasn't a talent show, but it was a talent showcase at Christmas time. And each class got up and did a song or did a little something special. Well, my class had to sing. And they picked me and two other boys to stand out in front of the stage, in front of everybody, and sing, All I Want for Christmas is My Two Front Teeth. And I really think they chose me for that because I didn't have my two front teeth at the time. And so it made sense that I would be the one to do it. But man, I got on the front of that stage with those two guys out in front of the whole class and the whole auditorium full of people. And those spotlights hit me in the face and that was it. I was done. I was done. I knew that's where I had to be. And from there, we just kept doing stuff and kept doing stuff. I went through a a stint in high school that I got to do some Broadway musicals Mm. and things like that. That was a lot of fun. So I I got to learn the other side of it from more of a theater angle. Um, Did some backstage stuff for a while just because I wanted to learn that. Hair, makeup, uh, props, uh, all different sorts of things like that. Special effects. I just, I wanted to totally submerge myself in everything entertainment. I never could dance really well though. That was that was a big downfall. I'm not really a dancer. Never could pull off that triple threat, huh? No, I couldn't couldn't quite handle that. I, I guess you don't really need that now, though, right? No, I'm, I think I'm pretty good not yeah. having the dancing now. I would imagine that most of the people that come to your shows now would they don't expect take, it. take exception to that. So, well, you know, there's always the buck dancing, you know, <laughs> the, the stomping the ants on the stage, of and course. I just I don't have that much energy. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'd be hard to do with the bass too. Yeah, right. that's true. So. Right. so, what about you, Daniel? Um. I started kind of kind of got the bug when I was around twelve or thirteen. Um, I my mom and dad had always kept instruments around the house. 
Um, my dad um, drove an oil route, and he would he would go by pawn shops and things. And I remember one time he came home with a with a electric guitar with four strings, and one time it was a mandolin that wouldn't stay in tune. And there were always things around the house. It was always encouragement to to do that. Um, <clears throat> never really took anything serious. I remember um, going to a Sears and Roebuck like uh, a discount store where they would like you know stuff people had bought and scratched and ding you know buy it cheaper there and we, we were shopping through there one night and i saw a guitar and kind of piqued my interest and i and, and dad's like no i bought instruments through the years and you never show any interest he's like if you want it you buy it so i was mowing yards and stuff and so i did and uh you know as the sears and Ro- sears and roebuck guitar does it wouldn't stay in tune and so i actually started you know now i had put my money into something so i was going to apply myself a little bit more and I couldn't get it to stay in tune, and Dad told me, he's like, well, if you learn to play one song on it, I'll help you get a better one. So I did, and um, learned several relatively quick, and so I got a better one. And then um, the next couple years just spent time um, really just kind of banging away on guitar. And then we were going to church one Sunday night, and Dad's driving and flipping through the dial, and he flipped past um what i now know is the pinecone bluegrass show out of raleigh and it was earl scruggs on the banjo playing foggy mountain breakdown and i said whoa 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 back up what's that and he's like well that's bluegrass that's flattened scruggs and i was like well whatever that is i got to do that so that that christmas i got a banjo and that's pretty much it i mean once you get a banjo it's over it's you're done (laughs) you're 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 officially full-on involved in the bluegrass world um and uh, it was really cool, though. I got to, um, my grandpa played mandolin. I started learning all this stuff as I started to play. All these things I never knew about my past came out. My grandpa had played the mandolin. And a bunch of the guys he used to jam with every Friday night were still alive, and they still got together on Friday nights and played. So that's actually, I didn't play basketball my senior year because I wanted to go to the Friday night jam sessions with these guys and learn to play banjo. So that's what I did. And... Um, just kind of grew kind of put the guitar down went to banjo for about 12 years and just did banjo and backup vocals in various different bands and then um, when we started new blue switched over to guitar for daniel bluegrass came naturally to him after learning the banjo but carolyn's love for bluegrass would take more convincing so he talked a little bit about why bluegrass for him so why bluegrass for you that's a good question um I didn't like bluegrass growing up. I thought it was um, obnoxious, and it was very boring to me. Of course, the only thing I'd ever heard was just a few local bands, and bless their hearts, I love the local bands. I really do. Those those are the guys that, that stay in the trenches, and they keep the music going week to week to week, and they teach the kids, and they bring people in, and I think they're great. But there are some things they're not sometimes totally proficient in and stage presence and moving a show along is one of those things and so you'd go to see these local bands around and you'd get chink 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 and the next song we're going to do chink 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 well i think we're going to get such and such to sing this one chink 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 and just goes on and on and you're sitting there in the audience going just play the song just play the song (laughs) and it really frustrated me because i was into rock and roll very heavily and i just 
you hear rock and rolling, they just don't stop. Yeah. Maybe every four songs, they'll stop and say something to the audience and pump you up a little bit more, and then they're back into the music. And I like that really high-energy show and the flow, the two-second rule. You never stop more than two seconds between one song to the other, and if you're not going from song to song, there better be something else going on mm-hmm. to keep people engaged. And I didn't get that off Bluegrass. And then when I met Daniel, he took me to um, Bass Mountain. Mm-hmm. When it was still Bass Mountain, I went to a festival there. There was a, a good old friend of mine that was playing bass with one of the top national bands at the time. And so we went to see him, and I sat down in front of the stage. It was Lonesome River Band. Sat down in front of the stage, and they hit the stage, and they played like the first five songs. Bop, 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 bop. Never slowed down, never stopped. And I was out there going, yeah, this is like rock and roll. I like this. So that was the beginning. Mm-hmm. That, that was the beginning of the end. I blame it on Riverband. They're the ones that turned that corner for me. And, <laughs> and after that, you just kept going. Bluegrass, for many people, is not their first choice when turning on the radio or making a Spotify playlist. Daniel and Carolyn offered their explanations for why bluegrass is so different than other musical styles and why more people should give it a try. Bluegrass is interesting. I think it's one of those musics for a lot of people, they don't like it. They don't like it if they hear it on the radio. They have all these preconceived notions about what bluegrass is, what they've been told it is, what they've seen is, you know, this hick music, hay bales and, and overalls. And and there's some of that in there, but it's, there is. you know, one of the things she was talking about with, with rock or country or anything else, you know, when you go to a concert, um, you know, there's there's typically, you know, you've got the band. And then there's, you know, there's a lead singer out front and they're more or three or four or whatever, you know, and you've got this full scale production. And and that's one of the things that actually makes bluegrass really hard and really technical. It's, it's funny. We've been out to some 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 things like the NAM show, which is full of rockers and pop guys. And they're like, dude, we wish we could play bluegrass because you guys are doing so much with four or five people. Um, you know, you're, you're putting out a lot of music. And you're you're doing it with a mandolin that's a very quiet instrument and a banjo that's a very loud instrument. So you're trying to balance all that and make it come together all without a drum kit and without, you know, and most of the time you, for the most part, the people playing the instruments are also doing all the singing and you're doing all the MC work and you're dealing with all acoustic instruments that go out of tune in between songs. And there's a lot to balance there. So um, it's a very technical music. People don't realize that and i always tell people bluegrass is a music that has to be seen it is definitely because of that because you know you can hear bluegrass and i'm going to say that probably hits 30 40 percent of the people and go uh, i could listen to that and eh, i like that whatever but then probably 80 percent of the people that see a bluegrass concert it, we especially when we go out west there's a lot of folks who come up and say this yeah. was my first experience with bluegrass it's not at all what I thought it was mm-hmm. because once you see what's going on and there's, you know, four people, maybe five up there doing all this and there's this big sound coming out of just that, that few people, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. So just how does someone transition from informal jam sessions with friends to being a full-time bluegrass musician? We'll find out right after this.
Picture this. You're signing up for a new online service and after providing your name and email address, you see a small checkbox beside the phrase, I agree to the terms of service. If you're like me, you probably don't stop to give the terms a second thought, but what if you did read them? What are you actually agreeing to and how does it affect your life? In my new show, Terms and Conditions Apply, I dive into the nuances of these agreements, answering questions like, how does online advertising affect privacy policies? How are terms of service viewed under the law? And what online habits need to change in order to respond to these extremely long and cumbersome agreements? I'm Ethan Smith, and I hope you'll join me as I navigate the complicated landscape of online privacy and data collection, where you'll hear from computer programmers, law professors, an advertising executive, and more. You can listen to all five episodes of Terms and Conditions Apply today. Available now wherever you download podcasts or by visiting termsconditionsapply.com. Welcome back. Making the jump from music as a side hobby to music as a full-time career is a challenge that all aspiring musicians face. For Daniel and Carolyn, the process came in phases. What was the transition like from just playing in local places to actually going on the road and playing music? Well, when we go back just a teeny bit here, when sure. Daniel and I first started New Blue, we knew once we got started in very short order that this is what we wanted to do, that we wanted to continue this, that we wanted to pursue this as an eventual as an eventual career and go full time and this be our job. So we set everything up like that in the very beginning. We set the band up as a business from day one so that later on, if we actually made any money, we wouldn't have to worry about anybody coming after us because we didn't report that money. And not only that, but we sat down and we made out a business plan and we had goals. We had very, very precise goals you know it's the yeah. the one-year plan the five-year plan the 10-year plan and <clears throat> and then then the adjustment to the one-year plan and yeah the five-year plan. <laughs> right you know it's then the, real life hits that, uh, that, that story that when the wheels turn slow they do but it's amazing you know it's like a watch you know you've, you watch a, a watch go and you've got all these little things that are just running mm-hmm. as fast as they can go to make the hour hand go around right. slowly and that's that's literally what the music yeah. industry is it's always a rat race you're always running from one thing to the next but you you have to see the bigger goal and we did everybody told us when we started they said you, you pinpoint where you're at when you decide to go regional you pinpoint where you're at and you start you draw a 20 mile circle and you, you play in that 20 mile circle and you do everything you can in there and then you move to a 50 mile around you circle and then eventually a hundred mile around you circle and you concentrate in those areas because you've got to build that fan base first you got to start at home you've got to have people at home that'll support you and that'll encourage you and that and that'll tell other people about you you know their cousin in california now they know about new blue because somebody in siler city saw them and you have to do that. You have to really start. I still remember our first really major out-of-state show. Do you remember what that was? I'm trying to think. Kentucky. Yeah, sure was. We drove to Kentucky. Yep. Oh, my gosh. It was a horrible trip, but we drove to Kentucky <laughs> to play one set yep. on a festival stage and then drove back home. But we needed that out-of-state experience and that festival the first time that we went to California. We had been, we had been uh, making friends at IBMA all these years, and it's it's that FaceTime. That's that's what really puts you places in bluegrass. It's getting to know people and being friends with them. Well, we had we had been friends with these promoters for 
what, six years? And we had talked to them about coming to California several times. They had several festivals out there, and it was always, time's not right now. You know, you're not ready yet. And a lot of bands get frustrated when somebody tells them you're not ready yet. But you need to listen to that because they know what they're talking about. You have to build to that level because if you get it too soon, you won't know what to do with it. So Daniel calls this guy. We, we were at that pivotal area, that pivotal point, And you really aren't considered national in bluegrass until you go across country. You can't just you can't just play around here and be known as a national bluegrass band. you got to be national. And we were at that point. We needed California. And Daniel called him up and said, I need California. I need California. And he said, well, you know, I've, you'd be great on this festival, but I just don't think I could pay you enough money. I, I don't want to insult you by not paying you enough. Daniel said, just just get us out there. Just pay us enough to get our expenses, whether we come home with anything or not. Just get us to California. And this one promoter is the one that broke California for us. And once he broke California, then it opened up a whole new world. In the 15 years they've been a band, Daniel and Carolyn have sharpened their own musical skills while becoming nationally recognized bluegrass artists. But what about the music? How does New Blue choose its songs, and what is that process like? What happens when a musician leaves the band? Join us next week as Daniel and Carolyn talk about their song selection process, recount some of their memorable song recording experiences, and share a song from their latest album. Be sure to subscribe wherever you download podcasts so you won't miss it. Life Experienced is hosted and produced by Ethan D. Smith and is primarily distributed via Anchor.fm. The show is also available via DSound, a decentralized audio sharing platform. For more information, visit dsound.audio. All music in this episode was used with permission of New Blue, and six of their studio albums are available to stream on your favorite music service. If you want to hear the band live, visit their website, newblue.com, that's nu-blu.com, for upcoming show dates and locations. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe via your favorite podcast service and share the show with others. More information about where you can subscribe to the show and the show itself may be found at lifeexperienced.org. And for those of you still listening, being on the road 200 days a year with the same group of people may lead to some interesting experiences. Here are some that Daniel and Carolyn shared. Is there a particularly humorous or memorable experience that just really sticks out that, that you want to share? It's between the, uh, the young lady that decided to cartwheel right in front of the stage in a sundress, and that was all she had on. That happened in New York. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was an interesting moment. And it was we funny were on stage playing a slow song. Yeah, we're in this really slow, good. heartfelt song. And, and, I looked, and I was looking over at the mandolin player. And all of a sudden, I see his eyes get real big, and he's just following this person. And I turn and look, and I'm like, "Oh, that's why he's following. That's why he's, his eyes are following this young lady across the uh, front of the stage." Um, I don't know. It's either that or um, or the whitewater rafting incident. Oh, that's not funny. That's just terrifying. <clears throat> that was terrifying. We we decided to do whitewater rafting on the Ocoee River which is uh, where Tennessee and Georgia and North Carolina all Last meet. trip of the year in October, it was ice cold. It was cold. And we had, uh, it was just the four of the band members in the mm-hmm. raft. So we didn't have a lot of people to maneuver right. the raft. And Carolyn's in there. I can't believe I talked her into it. 
And um, I hate water. And um, me and the banjo player Levi, we we were up on the front, and um, we had this guy that decided to be crazy on one of the peaches. Our peaches God was, was peaches. the guy, yeah. And Peaches decided, he said, well, we're going to drop surf for rapid. And I had been whitewater rafting before. And I'm screaming, no, we're not going to do that. Because yeah. I knew it. And they're like, what's that? Let's do that. No, let's not do that. He's like, yeah, we're going to do it. The hydraulic that he wanted to drop surf was called slice and dice. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Turned out to be slice and fall out. Okay. We, um, we managed to uh, go into it. And um, instead of surfing it, we managed to flipped the raft about 90 degrees literally 90 degrees everybody that was watching it said they thought that we were all going in and i fell out on top of Le- levi went in the hole first i fell out on top of him i kicked him out of the hydraulic and i fell into it and got hung and i just was worried about her mm-hmm. and you know I was like, okay great it dumped everybody so it's carolyn okay and i'm in the raft screaming <clears throat> she's screaming not and at the point you know that that's that's one over that that beautiful crystal clear river water works against you oh yeah because you think you're above water and it's you're not oh. so i managed to i freaked out a little bit and so as i'm trying to get to the surface i thought i was clear to breathe and i was not so i breathed in a bunch of water and i'm popping up gagging and hacking and well scared <laughs> and carolyn's I, I saw she was in the boat and I was like, where's Levi? She's like, oh, he's floating down the river. He's fine. I was like, okay, well, everybody's everybody's alive, so now I just got to get myself back in the boat. Yeah, he didn't say it quite that plainly. No, I, clearly. Was, was, I was totally freaked out. Yeah, yeah he lie. was gagging and coughing but, and spitting. And then the, I remember, all I remember is the guy saying, get close enough to the boat, keep your feet up, and get close enough to the boat, and I'll reach out with the oar, and you just grab the oar. Right. And so I remember, you know, I'm bobbing up and down. Yeah. And I bobbed up, and I saw the oar, and I was like, oh, good. Now I don't have to do anything. All I'll just keep my feet up. And I came up again, and I grabbed the oar. And apparently, he was reaching way out with it. Because the next thing I remember is the oar was loose on the other end. Oh, no. And I was like, well, now I'm just screwed. <laughs> <laughs> but he managed to grab the other end of it and yeah, pull so, me so in. And we finally both got our hands on him and just fell back in the raft yeah, and jerked was, him in on top of us. And That was... Uh, that was not fun. <laughs> well, it does not sound like something you won't forget. <laughs> Carolyn, Carolyn said, if you want to go whitewater rafting, just go to the backyard and take the water hose and shove it up your nose. Okay, that's about the. That's a good. That's right. a good. Save yourself the time. The same experience. Uh, we get we get into all kinds of stuff. So. Yeah, but it's fun. Right, of course, it sounds like it. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. And once again, I'm Ethan Smith, reminding you to get out there and experience life.